morning once again, and we welcome you again to this uh, Daylight Saving Sunday, and we're just so glad that you're here and you're able to fix your clocks last night. Uh, I can always uh, remember the one Sunday where Nina and I forgot to change our clocks, and uh, we got to church eager and ready to uh, worship the Lord, and the place was deserted, and uh, we had this uh, sinking feeling that the rapture had occurred, and we had... And uh, for some reason, we were still there, and and I just remember we were looking at each other like, wait a second, why are you here? Wait, well, why aren't you here? And, and um, praise God, it was just that we had forgotten to set our clocks and never did that again. We learned our lesson. We're so glad you're here. We pray that the Lord will bless you this morning. Um, I have the privilege of preaching God's Word this week and next week, and I do think that this would be a good opportunity for me and for our church to express our gratefulness to the Lord for what he has done and teaching us uh, through the pulpit ministry. Uh, these last few weeks, it has been um, life-changing. It has been uh, transformative. Uh, we thank our Pastor James for just being a vessel that the Lord can use to bless us. I feel like uh, every Sunday I've come and just feel like a spectator watching God work in our midst and the Lord just... Um, using this pulpit to change our hearts and to show us the wonders of God's grace. I know that my life will uh, never be the same after this last month, and I trust that from hearing from so many of you, your lives have been so blessed as well. And so uh, we just thank the Lord for um, everything he's been teaching us and for our Pastor James and for his faithful ministry and preaching God's word. I do have the opportunity this morning of following up on uh, many of the thoughts that James has initiated. And if you've been with us these last few weeks, you know that there is a shift that is taking place in the direction of this pulpit. There is a shift that has been taking place in the direction of our church. There is a movement that is being made in our church's leadership's hearts and the culture of our church and the way that we relate toward one another and the way that we relate to the Lord and the way that we come to worship and the way that we serve and the way that we evangelize, there is a new perspective that we are seeking to draw from the Word of God and to energize our hearts and our minds. And it has been an exciting, exciting shift. We feel like the Lord is just teaching us things that were always in His Word, but for some reason... Uh, we missed it. For some reason, we couldn't see how everything connected, and the Lord has just been doing this work, and we are just so grateful for all that the Lord has been uh, teaching us. We feel that our church is taking on a different flavor. Uh, we feel that our church is taking on a different tone. Our motivations are different. Our goals and our aims are different. And although this direction is uh, something that is fresh and alive for us as a church. Really, theologically, it is nothing, is nothing new. It is nothing novel. We are always on guard. We, we're not after looking after new and novel theologies. We, we are rediscovering in a new and a fresh way the old, old truths of the Bible, the old, old truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are seeing its application to our lives and to our church in a fresh and a new way. If I were to summarize the shift that's been taking place in our church, it would be in these words. We, we are learning how the gospel of Jesus Christ is central not only to the beginning of our Christian lives, but also to the rest of our Christian lives as well. We are learning how the gospel of Jesus Christ is central not only to the beginning of our Christian lives, but also to the rest of our Christian lives as well. Now, if you understand that statement, if you understand how we're taking the gospel from just the beginning of our Christian lives and we're seeking to centralize it in everything that we do, you understand that this is not about new or novel theologies. You understand that this is rooted in the old, old truths of the Bible, but for some reason we didn't understand its connection, the centrality of the gospel, not only to how we became Christians, but how we live as Christians. We didn't understand the centrality of the gospel, not only to how we enter the kingdom, but how we grow in the kingdom. 
if I were to summarize uh, this shift uh, theologically, I would say this. We are learning how the gospel is not just central to our conversion and to our justification, but also to our sanctification as well. And this has been an exciting, exciting, um, if I could say rediscovery or just focus of our church that we, the, we feel the Lord has been teaching us. The gospel is central not only to how we enter the kingdom, but how we mature, how we grow, how we pursue godly character, how we serve, how we minister, how we do outreach, how we do missions, how we give, how we relate to one another. It has been said before, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to the Zs of the Christian life. And this is the focus that we have been seeking to bring to our church. And we feel the Lord is leading us in. If you look at Paul's life in the New Testament, you see that Paul saw the gospel not only as the means by which you become saved and enter into the kingdom, but he saw the gospel as the means by which he lived in the here and now, in the present. He says we begin our Christian lives through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then we continue our Christian lives by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. See, Paul didn't see faith in the gospel as something that begins my Christian life, and now that I'm a Christian, I work it out on my own. But he saw the Christian life as a present tense. I live today, every day of my life, through faith in the Son of God who loved me and who delivered himself up for me. It was a present, living, continual lifestyle of faith in the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. What Paul would say to us is that the Christian life is not the gospel begins it and then I finish it. The Christian life is not the gospel begins it and then it's up to me to figure it out from there. What Paul would say is that the Christian life is the gospel begins it and then the gospel continues it. The gospel begins it, and then the gospel completes it. And we begin our Christian lives by faith in the gospel. We continue, we live today, every day of our life, through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I never really understood why, before this last month, why, the, why today is so important. I always thought of grace as something that God gave grace at the cross, and I'm thankful for that. God gave grace in my conversion, and the gospel was active in my conversion, and I'm thankful for that. But I never understood the connection of how the gospel is today, how every single day of my life is a fresh and a new living relationship where I place my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is at work in my life today. I live presently by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never understood before why Sundays, every single Sunday is so important. I mean, I had this vague feeling like the gospel's important in the past. Christ has died for my sins in the past. But I never understood why today is so important. Why every time we gather every week, it is a fresh and a new and alive work of God, work of grace in our lives, that the gospel is continuing the work. But as James has led us in, in bringing the gospel, not just from the past, but into the present, into the here and now, the Christian life has become energized and exciting. And I see 
it's today. It's not just something I did in the past. I placed my faith in Jesus when I became a Christian 15 years ago. It's something that's today. I, I live, Paul says, Galatians 2.20. I live today by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This has been such an exciting, exciting discovery for us. And what we're learning as a church is simply this. We never graduate from the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. We never move on. We begin by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we grow by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel simply means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. It is the greatest news that this world has ever heard. It is the most excellent news. It is the greatest proclamation. It is the simple truth that guilty sinners can be forgiven of all their sins through faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross in their place for their sins and rose triumphantly from the grave three days later. It is the great news that Jesus has accomplished what we could never accomplish. That Jesus has done what we could never have done. That Jesus has purchased for us what we could never earn and could never merit. That at the cross He was our substitute and He made perfect and complete and total atonement, satisfaction for all of our sins, past, present, future, internal, external, attitude, action, all of our sins. He paid for the penalty of our sins in full so that there is no more wrath that needs to be poured out because it has all been spent once and for all at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then three days later, on the third day, God rose him triumphantly from the grave to declare to the world, I accept the payment that has been made on your behalf. Come and place your faith in the Son and in His finished work. That is the good news. It is the good news. It is the greatest most glorious, most awesome news that this world has ever heard. And this world is filled with bad news. And we have the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus has died in your place for your sins. And if you cannot earn this salvation, but you can receive it. And all God calls you to do is to place your trust in what He has already accomplished. That's the good news. It is the most awesome news that this world has ever heard. And this is, the, this is how we begin the Christian life. We understand that. I know you all understand that that's how I began my Christian life, right? And when I became a Christian, I understood I'm a sinner. I understood I'm going to hell. I understood that I have... Nothing to offer God. I understand that I need forgiveness of sins. I know that Jesus died in my place. I place my faith in the good news. But what we're saying to us as a church is that that's not just how you begin the Christian life. That's how you live the Christian life. You see, the Christian life is not we begin with good news. And then it's bad news all the way from there. I don't know how you feel about this. I've um, been thinking through this whole thing in my whole life. And, you know, I've been a pastor for a while. And I've been realizing this is how I've preached in the past. I'll go to unbelievers and I would preach to them good news. Have you heard the good news, the gospel? God has sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for your sins and you can be forgiven of your sins if you place your faith in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Good news. And then I turn right around and go to believers and I give them bad news. And you stink. What's wrong with you? You're not disciplined enough. 
You're not hardworking enough. You don't love God. You're not passionate. You're not committed. You think God is happy with the way that you live? God's not happy with you. Look how lazy you are. How many video games you played this week? And it'd be this, even in, as in my life, I kind of understand that there's something wrong with it. Saturdays I go out and evangelize, and I'm like, good news. I'm like, Jesus has died for your sins, forgiveness, eternal life. You don't have to go to hell. It's good news. And then Sunday I get up in front of believers and say, what's wrong with you? Guilt, guilt, shame, shame. You're, you're not a good Christian. Shape up. I mean, bam, B-A-M, be a man. Get, get together, you know. And I preach this. You think you're a good Christian? Look at C.H. Spurgeon. That was a good Christian. He loved God. You don't love God like C.H. Spurgeon. Do you? You know who was a good Christian? Jim Elliot was a good Christian. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Have you ever said anything that brilliant? I didn't think so. That's because you're not a good Christian like Jim Elliot. On Saturdays, I'd I'd preach grace and gospel, good news. And on Sundays, I'd preach guilt and shame and get your act together. And what's wrong with you? And how come you're not a good Christian? You think God's happy with you. God's not happy with you. And I realized so much how... Man, I needed this last month. How, you know, the Christian life is not we begin with good news and then we continue in bad news. You know what the Christian life is? It's we begin with good news and then the good news gets even better. And the more we grow, we're just, it's getting better and better and better and better. And we begin with this news that Jesus will forgive all your sins because of what he's done on the cross for you in your place. And then as we grow in Christians, that good news gets better and better and better. You know, Paul, when he preached, this is how he preached. He he preached good news to unbelievers, and then he preached better news to believers. To unbelievers, he preached news like this, Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. That's good news. You will be saved if you place your trust in Jesus, who has died in your place for your sins. Believe, trust, receive the grace that has been given to you, that is being offered to you. And then to believers, he said things like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword and all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul preached to believers, God loves you. He loves you. Nothing that you will ever encounter in your life will ever separate you from that love. You understand? To unbelievers, it was believe and you will be forgiven. To believers, it's you have believed and so you are forgiven. 
And because all of God's wrath was spent at the cross and there is no more wrath that needs to be given, it's complete. God loves you. Today, right here, right now, with all your issues, all your problems, all your temptations, all your weaknesses, all your failures, God loves you because He doesn't love you because of who you are. You understand that? So many times I come to the Lord, I say, Lord, how, how can you love me? I mean, I'm not a good Christian. I'm a, I'm not passionate enough. I, I don't love you enough. I'm not sacrificial enough. I'm, I don't love people enough. I, I'm not... I'm I'm not a good Christian, Lord. How can you love me? And the gospel says to me, Dan, God doesn't love you because of who you are or what you have done. Dan, God loves you because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has done. He accepts you because He loves His Son and you are in Christ and Christ is in you and because God loves Jesus, God loves you. You're not accepted on the basis of who you are or what you've done. You are accepted on the basis of who Christ is and what Christ has done. That's the gospel. And what God says to me is, Dan, Today, not tomorrow. Not when you get your act together. Not when you get cleaned up. Not when you get all your spiritual disciplines in a row. Not when you get serious about your Christian... No, today. Right here, right now, God loves you. Because the gospel is... He doesn't love you because of you. He loves you because of Christ. That's the whole point. He accepts you not because of you. He accepts you because of Christ. It's substitution. Christ took your sin and you get His righteousness. Christ took your curse and you get His blessing. Christ took your death, you get his life. Christ took your eternal condemnation and you get his eternal blessing. You say, I don't deserve that. I haven't done anything to earn that. That's the point. It's grace. It's, we haven't done anything to earn this or deserve this. But God loves us Because of Christ. And the Bible says I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And God cannot reject me without rejecting Christ. And God will not reject Christ because Jesus Christ is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And so Paul said to unbelievers, believe and you shall be saved. And to believers, the good news got better. You have believed and you are saved. And now God lavishes his favor upon you. How did we get away from this? How did we miss this? Whatever happened to the good news? How did we get away preaching good news to unbelievers and bad news to believers? What happened is. We started off our Christian lives by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we sought to grow in our Christian lives through self-effort, self-discipline, self-improvement. And the result is that when we failed, we were overly discouraged. And when we succeeded, we were overly happy with ourselves because the root of our sanctification was self, not Christ. And so we feel blame instead of acceptance. 
we feel God's disappointment with us instead of God's delight with us. We slave away at our Christian disciplines, but there is little joy, delight, or freedom in those disciplines. And we feel constantly that we are not disciplined enough. And we always feel like we don't measure up. And what we're saying is that, brothers and sisters, the gospel is not just for yesterday when you became saved. The gospel is for today, right here, right now, with whatever issues or problems or temptations or weaknesses that you have brought into this room. God says to you, I accept you. I love you. I delight in you. Because I don't accept you on the basis of who you are. I accept you on the basis of who Christ is. And I place Christ's righteousness into your account so that when I see you, I see Christ's righteousness and I am infinitely delighted with the righteousness of my Son. God says to you, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are free, and because of this good news, you can rest. You can rest. Because I've done it all. You can't add to what I've already accomplished. You can't improve upon it. You can't make it any better. You can't contribute anything. The only thing that you can contribute to your salvation is your sin. Do you understand that? The only thing we've ever contributed to our salvation is our sin, is our blame, is our guilt. The only thing I gave to God in my salvation is my sin. And God took that sin and he placed it on Christ and punished it in my place. And then he takes Christ's righteousness and places it on me and loves me because of who Christ is. That's good news. The good news gets better and better. And so what we're saying here, Cornerstone Bible Church, is we are about preaching good news to unbelievers and better news to believers. Preach guilt and shame and fear long enough and people will get in line. And they will even feel convicted. But their Christian life will be rooted in this works righteousness and they will never experience the joy and the freedom of living by God's grace. Now, what are we saying here as a church? We're saying that we desire all Christian maturity, all spiritual growth, all true character to be motivated by and produced by our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get us wrong. We are not saying that we are anti-discipline, anti-diligence, anti-growth, anti-character, anti-holiness. That's not what we're saying at all. What we are saying is we desire all of those things to be produced by and motivated by the good news of salvation in Christ. Now, if this is the shift that James has led us in, and if this is the shift that we are trying to make as a church by God's grace. What are the implications of this shift? What does it look like? How does it change the way that we live? How does it change the way that I go about my day? How does it change the way that I go about coming to church? What does this look like? Um, after James uh, initiated this um, focus, I spent much time in my own life reflecting and thinking through the implications of this direction for my own life first and then for the life of our church. I spent much time weighing this teaching exegetically, biblically. Does it arise from the text of Scripture? Does it measure up against the theology and the debates of church history? Are we balanced? Is this, is this correct? Is it doctrinally true? And then how does it make a difference in our life? And one of the main things that I came up with in 
just my own reflections on living by the gospel, is something I want to summarize in the following sentence and unpack for you this week and next week. Living by the gospel means that I see myself as a receiver, not a giver in my relationship with the Lord. Living by the gospel means that I see myself as a receiver, not a giver, as I live my Christian life. Living by the gospel of Jesus Christ means that I am a receiver. I'm not a giver. Every day of my Christian life, I... I I don't give to God. I get from God. I don't come to the Lord to give to Him. I come to the Lord to get from Him. Living by the gospel means that when I pray, I'm not praying words to try to give to God something that is in some way contributes to my standing before Him. I'm not trying to craft these perfectly godly words in order to impress Him so that God says, Wow, Dan prayed such an awesome prayer. I am so impressed. I have to bless Him today. No. I come to prayer and I say, God, I'm a receiver. You have to give to me. I I need... I need from you. I don't have anything to give to you. I have needs that I need to get from you. Namely, I, I need, first of all, you. I need, I need your presence in my life. I need your strengthening. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need your teaching. I need your encouragement. I need my soul to be fed with, with you and with your word. I need to get, Lord, I'm not, I can't, I don't have anything to give to you except for this weary, sinful heart and all the sins of yesterday. But I need you to give to me. God, give to me. Lord, meet me. Show me today, right now. Give me something. Because I don't have anything to contribute. I'm not trying to to manipulate you. I prayed such a great, long, godly prayer. God's so impressed with me. He has to bless me today. No, I'm, I'm just, Lord, give to me. What do I have to give? When I serve, I'm not giving to God. I'm getting from God. When I serve, I'm not God, I gotta do this for you. I gotta give to you. God doesn't need our service. God doesn't need anything that we do. It's, Lord, I don't have to serve. I get to serve. I get to receive the grace that you give and that flows through Christians when they're active in ministry. When I give, I'm not giving to God like I don't I'm not improving upon my standing before him. I'm receiving grace to be a part of what he's doing in this world. Living by the gospel means I see myself every day of my life as a receiver and not a giver. Now, I know you all understand this in reference to your salvation. Okay? Stick with me here. I know it's early. I know we all had an hour's sleep. But this is good news this morning. We all understand this in relation to our conversion. We all understand that when we were saved, we were 100% receivers. Nothing to my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. I can give nothing, I can contribute nothing, I can only receive. 
Luke 18, the Pharisee. Familiar parable. He tried to give to God. He said, I give you my works. I give you my diligence. I give you all that I've done. And the tax collector, collector sat next to him and said, I just, all I can do is receive. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to contribute. I can just receive what I do not deserve and I cannot earn. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. So I know that we all understand that in reference to our conversion, we were receivers and not givers. We could give God nothing. We could only receive His grace. But what happens as we live our Christian lives? What happens is we get cleaned up a little bit, don't we? We, um, you know, start dressing better. I don't think I wore a tie in my life until I became a Christian. I started dressing better. We start getting more uh, put together in our lives. We stop being lazy. We start working harder. We get involved in service at the church. We get all these these uh, bad influences out of our lives. We used to be into sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and we're not into those things anymore. Except for me, still into rock and roll a little bit, you know. But you know, Christian rock and roll. Um, and we get involved in ministry. And we even start becoming influential. And people actually start listening to us. I'm always amazed when anybody listens to anything I have to say. When anyone comes to me for counsel, I'm always like, don't you know who I am? I'm just the guy, I was just banging my head at Springsteen concerts before the Lord met me. You think I have wisdom? Like, you think I have anything worth saying? Well, I have the Word of God. That's it. But we start growing and people start listening to us. We're even given positions of leadership. We lead small groups. We lead flocks. We lead ministries. We even start have staff and people actually follow our directions. And slowly but surely what begins to happen in our lives is we begin to take on the mentality of a giver instead of a receiver. And we start thinking every day we wake up thinking of all the things we have to give to God today. All the things we need to do for God today. I just ask you to evaluate your own heart this morning. I ask you to think about this. How do you start your day? Do you start your day, wake up, and you think of all the things that you have to do for God? Man, I got to have my quiet time. I got to go to work. I got to make money. got to feed my family. Gotta, then I have ministry. Then there's a guy who wants to talk. And there's this thing that needs to be done and that thing that needs to be done. And there's not enough hours in the day. And Man, like, so many things I got to do for God today. And already you're just, you don't want to get out of bed because you're like, oh, so many things. Or can I ask you this question? Do you wake up every morning thinking of the ways that God is going to give to you? How's God going to bless me today? What's he going to do in my life? How is he going to show me his grace today? How is he going to change my heart? How is he going to sanctify me? How is he going to show me Christ? What's God going to do for me today? What's God, how is God going to give to me? Do you come to church thinking of all the ways that you need to give to God in ministry? Or do you come to church thinking... 
of all the things that God is going to give to you as you draw near to Him. You know, we've um, been shepherding our worship team because our praise team, we're, you know, you're not, we like music, and you're not in on the praise team unless you like music. And, and our tendency is to get really into like these, how, this, how we sound and how the chords, sh- is sh- you know, how the vocals blend and how the, the bass line rocks and how we're all like in, and how the sound is going. And, and it's so easy for us to get a mentality of a giver rather than a receiver. And we've just been shepherding the praise team. Look, we need to just remember and shepherd our hearts that we're not here to give to God. We're here to get from Him. God's going to bless us today. And we can be so busy with all our little stuff, all our core changes and transitions, and how does this sound, how, that we miss what God's doing. And God's ready and eager to give to us, but we're so distracted that we don't have open hands to receive. If you think about it biblically, that was Martha and Mary's contrast, wasn't it? Martha was so busy giving that she couldn't receive. Mary received and she was blessed. Living by the gospel means that I am a receiver. I am not a giver. I get from God. I don't give to God. I live my life, Lord, How are you going to work in this situation? Not, Lord, what am I going to do to make this come out right? I live every day thinking, what's God up to? How's He going to bless me today? You see, the Bible teaches that We don't work for God. God works for us. We don't give to God. God gives to us. We don't contribute to God. God allows us to be part of what He's doing. And so I woke up this morning, real honestly. I was in a bad mood. Many of you were too, okay? It's like, man, I'm so early. Gosh, I hope I make it through the message this morning. Oh, wait, I'm preaching this morning. Oh, man. How am I going to do this? I'm preaching. That means I got to comb my hair. and Man, like, I got to... I got to be awake and alert and make sense. And just burden... Even those first five minutes was, like, growing on me and the pressure of... And then... I just sharpened my heart. Damn, today's not about you giving to God. Today's about God giving to you. Today's about what God's going to do. And you don't feel worthy to be used by God, but that's the whole point. It's grace. Paul said, it's by grace that I am who I am. And the whole point of grace is that you don't deserve it. But it's not about you. And God's going to bless you by His grace. So easy to fall into this mentality of a giver. I have to give to God my perfect ministry. I have to give to God my perfect discipline. I have to give to God my perfect performance, or He's not going to use me. Now, here's the good news. I want you to get this. Okay? You've all been very patient. This is like the hardest Sunday to preach, and nobody's fallen asleep so far, at least, at least from what I've seen. But you've all been very patient, but you need to grab a hold of this, okay? And mark this down. Living as a giver and not a receiver is a great way to live 
Because God is an excellent giver. Okay. You have to get this. Living as a receiver and not a giver is an exciting, awesome way to live because God is an excellent giver. God is a generous giver. God is the greatest giver in the world. God is a lavish giver. If you have a view of God that views Him as stingy or reluctant to bless you as His child, it is a view of God that dishonors Him because it is untrue of Him. The truth of God's Word teaches us that God is not reluctant to bless His children. The problem is not that God is needs to be manipulated into blessing us. The problem is that we are oftentimes so busy trying to give to Him that we don't have open arms to receive His blessing. God is an excellent giver. And so I said this last time. I mean, I was half joking about this, but we prepared these, you know, little gifts for our 10th anniversary. And, you know, we said, you know, God is a generous giver. And so it doesn't make sense that we would be a stingy church. We want to reflect the character of God. So we want to give to our members and just appreciate a small token. And I was half joking because some of you didn't take the gift. And we had some leftover gifts. And so the next week I, you know, I don't, you know, we're not offended by that. We don't know, maybe you're too busy in the bounce house or the, you're in the photo booth too many times, so you just forgot. So just, but half joking, I was like, you know, you need to be a good receiver. You need to learn to receive as well as to give. And while I was half joking about that, I'm totally not joking this morning about your relationship with God. We have to learn to be good receivers because God is ready to bless. He's eager to bless. And He is ready to bless in ways that that are beyond what we could even ask or think. But sometimes we're just so busy, like Martha, trying to give to Him that we miss out on what He wants to give to us. God is the greatest and most lavish and most generous giver in the world today. He is not just generous and lavish in what He has done in the past in sending His Son to die for our sins. He is lavish and generous in what He is doing right here, right now, every day of our lives. Romans 8.32 Paul says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He also with Him, not freely, give us all things? Paul says, if God did not spare His Son in the past, do you think He's going to withhold blessing from you in the present? Do you think God would be so lavish and generous in giving to us in the past and then be stingy toward us in the present? Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 7. He said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For, catch this, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Jesus says, come to God with open arms and let Him give to you. Ask, seek, knock, and it shall be given because God is a generous giver. And then He uses this illustration, verse 9, Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him, not give him, a, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then... 
being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give that what is good to those who ask him? God says, Dan, look, you're wicked and sinful and fallen and you're selfish and you have problems. But you know what? When your three-year-old daughter comes to you and bats her eyes and asks for milk, like she does 12 times every day, you give her her milk. And even when she asks for candy, and you know it's not good for her, and she says, Daddy, can I have some candy? And you go, it's not good for you. And she looks again and says, Daddy candy and then it's not good for you daddy candy and the third time your heart something in your heart just you know it melts and you have this compassion for your daughter ah just okay just this once there's some chocolate and there's something in your heart even when she eats that first chocolate you you know it's not right but you give her three more because you just your heart is, you love your daughter. And Jesus says, Dan, if you're like that and you're evil, how much more is the Father who is in heaven have a heart of love and compassion and being generous toward those He has saved through the death of Jesus Christ? How much more can you come and ask and just keep asking And knock and just keep knocking and seek and just keep seeking. And Jesus says, you knock, the door will be open. You seek, you shall find. Because God is a generous God. James chapter 1 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who, catch this, gives to all men generously. You come to God and ask for wisdom, he's not going to say, yeah, here's, I'll give you a little bit, just enough. I guess so. I mean, yeah, your life is kind of messed up, so you need some. His heart is, he gives generously, without reproach. Here's wisdom. Here's more wisdom. But the problem is, so many times, we are so busy trying to give to God that we're not good receivers. We don't know how to come to him with open arms and empty hands. We don't know how to just receive. Because we're so busy trying to give. John Piper wrote a chapter in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And his chapter was this, Brothers, Tell Them Not to Serve God. The thesis of his chapter was simply this, If you are serving God as a means to try to give to Him, then you are actually belittling Him and dishonoring His sufficiency. We serve God with the mentality of a receiver, not a giver. And in this chapter, Piper wrote this, God is not a scout looking for the first draft choices to help his team win. God is an unstoppable fullback ready to run touchdowns for anyone who will give him the ball. So many guys want to score the touchdown for Jesus. Lord, give me the ball. I'll run it across the goal line. They run across the goal I did it! Touchdown for Jesus! Oh my great football player. Look what I've given to God. And Piper says, no. We're not these football players and saying, Lord, watch me score a touchdown for you. We're saying, God, you're the unstoppable fullback. Let's give you the ball and let's watch you work. 
and we'll cheer when you score the touchdown, and that cheering we'll call worship because you did it all. We're not the givers. We're the receivers. Pastor James spoke a few weeks ago on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and I shared with him this was the first time I've ever heard that passage preached in an exegetically precise manner. Where the passive tense of the verb be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus was brought out and brought to our application. I've heard that message preached many times where the emphasis was on be strong, active tense. Be a man. You know, have some courage. I've never heard the passive tense brought out. Where the emphasis is not be strong. The emphasis is be strengthened. Timothy, just be a receiver. God's going to be there for you. He's going to strengthen you. But you need to, you need to learn to receive that grace. And I share with James afterwards that if the imperative is active, be strong in the ministry, I can't do it. Because I'm in way over my head. You know, we came out of seminary with guns blazing and got my gospel machine gun and I'm going to be Rambo and shoot down all the bad guys and I don't care how many enemies there are, I'm going to do it. And after a few years, you realize that when you're, you're placed against Satan and the and the demonic realm, and the flesh, and sin, you're outmatched. And you can't be strong enough. But you can be strengthened. You can receive. You can come to God and say, God, I'm weak, but you are strong. And you promise to give me grace. And what God said to me through that message is, Dan, that's all you need to do. You just need to be a receiver. And Christ is sufficient, and he will be there. Now, the two main, let me just summarize, the two big picture ideas that I laid before you this morning is, number one, we are moving the gospel from the beginning of our Christian lives to the middle of our Christian lives. We are seeing how the gospel is central not just to our justification, to our conversion, but also to our sanctification. And this is the way that the Lord, we believe, is working in our church. The second big picture idea I laid down before you is that because we live our lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are receivers and not givers. We come every day of our lives to receive from God, not to give to God. Now, in relation to this second big picture idea, the second thesis that I'm trying to pose before you, I've just been able to introduce it this morning. And what I need to do with this thesis is convince you, okay, biblically, textually, with verses. I don't want you just to believe this because I said it or James said it or Bob said it. or I don't want you just to believe this because this is what Cornerstone... I want you to be convinced by the text of Scripture exegetically. Is this taught in the Bible? And I need you to be Bereans. I need you to think according to Scripture. You're not... You, you won't honor these messages if you just say, well, Dan said it, so I'm going to believe it. That, that's dishonoring the pulpit. You need to be a Berean. You need to search the Scripture for yourself, see if this is true, and be convinced by the text of Scripture, not by any human speaker. But for next week, my job and my privilege opportunity is to seek, by God's grace, to convince you to with the text, that these things in Scripture are actually so, that they are true, and that this is how God wants us to live. So we pray and trust you'll come back next week with eager hearts, uh, ready to receive the Word of God. Let's uh, close in prayer together.
Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. That you don't just bless us with just a little bit or just enough. But your heart is to lavish us with your grace. To pour down blessing upon blessing, strength, mercy, forgiveness, cleansing, restoration, joy, sanctification. You are all about in this day and age doing that which is beyond what we could ask or think. Father, we confess the problem is not that you are not generous. The problem is that so many times we're so busy and we're trying to give to you. We're not very good receivers. Teach us from the text of your word of your amazing grace once again. Show us how the gospel relates not just to what has happened in the past but what is happening right here, right now in our lives today. As we are the receivers, we give you all the glory and we take none of the credit. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.